How does creating the life of your dreams in 2016 sound? Or what about helping someone else do the same? With Christmas approaching, the well and new range of inspirational products is all inspiring. Choose from vision board kits, a gratitude box, a John box, coaching packages, and more. Gifts start from just $5. To find out more, simply go to wellandyou.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-E-U-X.com. And click on the Christmas catalog to help make 2016 incredible for you and the people you care about. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome back to the Real Food Real. Today on the show, I speak with Varun Shriram from Generation UCAN. For those of you that don't know, their product Superstarch is sweeping the endurance world by storm, but it wasn't originally developed for this niche. Let's find out more about Generation UCAN, their products and the science behind Superstarch. Hi, Varun, and welcome to the show. Hey, Steph. Thanks uh, so much for having me. Really excited to chat with you today. I'm so excited. And I'd love for you to start with some information about Generation UCAN and how the company started. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a really fascinating story, and it's kind of the story um, very interesting and why I kind of got involved with the company, too, is because I was so interested uh, by the origins um, of the product. So Generation UCAN, the company launched uh, in 2010, about five years ago. But um, really, the seeds were planted uh, several years before that. And you mentioned off the top the super starch, which is uh, the unique uh, carbohydrate in the UCAN product. So really, the story of super starch is what's so fascinating. Um, the founders of UCAN actually um, – one of the founder's sons uh, had a very rare blood sugar disease called glycogen storage disease, where essentially kids with this uh, disease, they can't break down carbohydrate into glucose to give them energy. So it's a very, very rare disease um, in the U.S. And, uh, you know, Jonah, the son of our co-founders, co-founder of UCAN, has this disease. So Jonah, from the time he was very young, had to be fed every two hours uh, around the clock to maintain his blood sugar because if these kids, uh, like I mentioned, they couldn't convert carbohydrates uh, into glucose to give them energy. But if they didn't consume carbohydrates, they would get severely hypoglycemic and have low blood sugar. So Jonah's family in 2000, they started a foundation and they started um, essentially researching all different types of carbohydrates. They were working with a team of researchers at the University of Scotland and they were really looking for an energy source that they could give to Jonah that would keep his blood sugar and energy steady throughout the night. Um, so for eight years, you know, all carbohydrates were looked at. They looked at rices, tapiocas, barleys, wheats, different types of grains uh, in an effort to see simply what would stabilize blood sugar in these kids for the longest period of time. Um, eventually, they found that starting with non-GMO cornstarch as an ingredient, um, they start with this starch and it's in a fibrous state. And then they cook it with just heat and water over a long period of time. And the way it's cooked uh, significantly slows the breakdown of the carbohydrate. 
and it causes that slow and steady trickle into the system. So for kids like Jonah, uh, this was something that because of the way the superstarch broke down, it actually was able to, um, you know, circumvent the issues they were having with breaking down traditional carbohydrates. Jonah was able to take the equivalent of about 90 to 120 grams of superstarch, which is about three to four packets of UCAN prior to sleeping at night. And it keeps his blood sugar steady throughout the night. So if, if you remember, you know, I, I said previously his parents were waking up every two hours to feed Jonah. Um, with the superstarch, they were able to give it to him prior to sleeping and it kept him steady so they didn't have to wake up and feed him throughout the night. Uh, so for the family, you know, this discovery was, was really, really uh, life-changing. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And I think it's certainly, as you say, life-changing. It would have been such a relief for them to be able to find a product that could keep uh, Jonah's blood sugar so stable, particularly throughout the night. No question about it. I think that, you know, to hear Jonah's parents, uh, David and Wendy, talk about it, I mean, the stress of setting, you know, three to four alarm clocks in the middle of the night um, just to ensure that they didn't miss a feeding, you know, because if they missed a feeding for Jonah, it could be life-threatening. You know, he, he would have hypoglycemic episodes, because, which could result in seizures. So this was very uh, a huge lifestyle change for them to be able to sleep throughout the night. Yeah, that's amazing. So you've mentioned, you've actually mentioned what superstarch is in, in your introduction, which was my next sure. question, but can you maybe um, package that up and, and take us through the evolution and how it came to be more sports-specific via Generation Can? Absolutely. And yeah, you, you are right there. I kind of uh, jumped the gun on that. It's, I just, when, when I think of UCAN, you know, superstarch and the origins of superstarch are, are really so fundamental to why the company's even around that, sure. that it kind of... Uh, struck me first, but, uh, you know, absolutely. So 2008, um, you know, the super starch exists, but there's no inkling of using it for, uh, you know, anything else. All the development has been centered around simply helping Jonah and kids like Jonah with this condition, glycogen storage disease. But then some of the, the founders that were involved with, um, you know, the research behind super starch, they, they started wondering uh, what would happen if, you know, regular folks took this, folks like you and I who don't have this disease, or or even more so, what would happen if athletes took this? You know, people took this um, while exercising. So, a few of the founders started reaching out to various sports dietitians, sports nutritionists, and just kind of presenting them with this concept: like, this is what we have. This is what the carbohydrate does. What do you think of the application? And and one of the first guys that was contacted was um, you know a guy you spoke to, Bob Sibahar, who at the time was working um, at the University of Florida as their head sports dietitian, uh, was also involved with the Olympic triathlon team. And, and basically, you know, Bob uh, told us very frankly that if what you guys are saying is true, if you actually have this type of carbohydrate, um, it's going to completely change sports nutrition. You know, this is what me as a dietitian, I'm looking for something to keep my athlete's blood sugar stable. And the only thing that I'm currently able to do with what's out there is, you know, feed them some type of sugar-based uh, drink or gel or, or whatever it is uh, at frequent intervals. But if you have something that I can give them up front and it's going to really maintain them for a long period of time, uh, it could be a game changer. So that's really, um, you know, where the evolution into sports nutrition started. But then Bob also told us, you know, I, I need some, we need to see some clinical research behind this, right? We, we can't just go on on faith, we need to actually test this stuff on athletes. Um, so that that was kind of the next step, which I can certainly get into the study, but uh, I don't know if you want to stop me there or have me keep going. Yeah, no, that's great. I think um, 
it's, I mean, particularly for Bob, we know he's been doing metabolic efficiency for 13 to 14 years and the evolution of sports nutrition over that time has been huge. Um, I guess where um, Superstarch was advantageous is that you had that eight years of research at the University of Scotland. So it wasn't just a product that had been sort of on the shelf for um, introduced without that clinical research. So did you do more research, though, um, that was endurance-specific after chatting with Bob? Absolutely. So that was um, that was really kind of what uh, that chat sparked. And um, so in 2008, uh, we did into 2009, we did a clinical trial at the University of Oklahoma um, in the United States. And essentially what we were trying to figure out is if the super starch was a better source of carbohydrate. And, and I'll get into in a moment what I mean by better, but a, but a more effective source of carbohydrate than what was popularly out there, which was really maltodextrin. You know, if you look at all of the newer products in sports nutrition, at least in the US, um, they're using maltodextrin as their primary carbohydrate source. So we didn't want to come out with something that was acting the same as maltodextrin, you know, and, and try to compete with all these big brands if we had a product that um, was no different than what they had. So this was really the purpose of the research. So the clinical trial was conducted on uh, nine uh, racing team cyclists. And what they did was they ingested on two separate occasions. It was a double-blinded trial, meaning they didn't know what they were taking in. The people who were administering it didn't know which carbohydrate they were administering. So they took super starch on one occasion and maltodextrin on another occasion prior to exercising on the bike for uh, three and a half hours. And, you know, what they saw with the super starch was uh, on that same serving of carbohydrate, it would maintain blood sugar for two to three times as long. And, and really significantly with the super starch, it didn't cause a big initial glucose spike like maltodextrin. Uh, and then more importantly, because there was no spike, there was no big decline uh, in the blood sugar levels. So, you know, Steph, as, as you obviously know, and I'm sure talk to people about uh, if you can control blood sugar from fluctuating, then you simply feel a better energy and don't need to redose as frequently during exercise. And that was really one of the primary advantages that we saw in Superstarch uh, when compared to maltodextrin. And we did this both in the pre-workout period. And then we also had the cyclists ingest this immediately post-workout um, and saw a similar uh, impact uh, on the super starch versus the maltodextrin in terms of stabilizing those blood sugar levels. So, so that was really one of the pertinent findings. The second pertinent finding, I, I'll, I'll let you comment on that if you'd like, uh, was in regards to the insulin levels, which I'll uh, get into in a moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you see that the two curves, the the blood sugar curve from super starch and then the blood sugar curve from maltodextrin, there's absolutely um, no doubt about the the benefits of that response. We see, you know, a really small rise in, in glucose with super starch, but then it's very stable for, you know, the three and a half hours um, after that time, after ingestion. Um, whereas we know with maltodextrin that, that initial spike is huge and then the crash on the other side is what leads athletes to to needing to continually consume these products every half an hour or so, or so on. Yeah, and I think, uh, you, you know, you kind of said it uh, best right there. It's really, especially I think you as a dietitian or other sports nutritionists, when you see that curve, it really tells the story. You know, I mean, I can I can kind of try to describe it here, but but even or even athletes who have experienced kind of that 
high and low, the sugar high and low, when they see the curve, they're like, oh, you know what? I get it because I, I know what that roller coaster in my blood sugar feels like. Oh, absolutely. And these athletes are the ones that have been um, certainly, I guess, brainwashed into thinking they need to consume something every 30 minutes, but they've technically had to because they've been on that blood sugar roller coaster for so many years wondering if you know that was the only answer, I guess. No question. I mean, it's what you see uh, time and time again. You pick up any mainstream endurance magazine and, you know, they're still pri- still primarily talking about 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Uh, you know, in the triathlon world, we still hear 200 to 400 calories per hour, depending on male or female. So it's it's still very much the prevalent uh, notion that that's being talked about in endurance sports. But, you know, I guess we're uh, we're one of the entities that's hopefully trying to change that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the insulin response. Like we had a good chat with Bob um, about metabolic efficiency and we do a lot of work on fat adaptation. So I hope most of our listeners know um, the impact of high insulin, but can you take us through how that relates to super starch? Absolutely. So, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about uh, with blood sugar. So Again, one of the things we looked at in the same study was the insulin levels of these cyclists when they ingested both uh, the super starch versus the maltodextrin. So with the maltodextrin, you know, as we expect um, in, when it's ingested pre-workout because of that rapid glucose spike, there's that subsequent insulin spike. Uh, you know, anytime you're going to get that glucose spike, you'll have that insulin spike. What's so fascinating about super starch is because of how slowly it releases over time, and because it never causes that significant spike in glucose, it, it almost goes under the radar of the pancreas. And there's no need for the pancreas to produce insulin because superstarch is not creating a significant rise in blood sugar. So really what this is showing is that um, you know when utilizing superstarch and, and controlling your insulin levels, you're able to, to better utilize fat as a fuel source uh, compared to consuming something more fast acting. And, you know, when, when you're able to burn fat better, it's, uh, you know, fat's a, an extremely powerful source of energy. You simply don't need to take in as many calories from carbohydrate. It's it, uh, People have compared this kind of to a hybrid car where you're getting that slow and steady stream of glucose from super starch, but you're getting it at a rate where it's not uh, causing a rise in insulin. It's not uh, messing with your ability to burn fat. And then again, we saw that same thing in the post-workout period. You know, I know uh, here in the, uh, in the U.S., uh, there's such a big marketing push for chocolate milk as, you know, the, the, <laughs> the best and, and most ideal post-workout beverage. But I, what, what we kind of see is there's so many endurance athletes these days that are in the sport with some type of weight loss or weight management goal in mind. And, and if you're going to have something with 20 or 25 grams of sugar and, or maltodextrin and spike your blood sugar and insulin post-workout, you're not able to really get the benefits of post-workout fat burning. Um, with the super starch, again, in the post-workout period, we see that slow and steady release, no rise in glucose, uh, no insulin response or a very minimal insulin response, uh, and that ability to continue burning fat uh, when ingesting this carbohydrate post-workout, which is you know a huge goal that a lot of people have. Oh, it's absolutely huge. And I think the, the chocolate milk campaign has um, a lot to answer for. It's clearly just you know, backed by millions of dollars because I think it's clear that we need to look at something that's certainly more, you know, real food orientated and certainly to keep those blood sugars stable. 
And I think that's a great point, Steph. And, you know, one of the ways, practically speaking, we see uh, people utilizing superstarch, because I completely agree, you know, that that idea of getting a, a real food meal in you post-workout is is also great as well. So they would use, like Meb Kofleski, for example, who, who we may speak about, um, he's the three-time uh, U.S. Olympian in the marathon and winner of the Boston Marathon in 2014. He's been utilizing UCAN for uh, really since our launch before we even had a brand or products. And one of the big, big things Meb finds is when he's able to take in the super starch immediately after a hard workout and control his blood sugar for two to three hours, it kind of gives him that buffer where he can go through his post-workout and his recovery routine. And then when he sits down to eat a meal uh, and to get, you know, protein in through meat or eggs, uh, he's not ravenous. You know, he's not craving these carbohydrates because he's not going into that post-workout meal with, you know, that, those fluctuations in his, uh, in his blood sugar. Yeah, absolutely. And that happens to a lot of athletes and particularly someone like Meb, who I'm sure has a million commitments as soon as he crosses the finish line. He's not about to, you know, go and sit down to an omelette straight away. So he's, yeah. And a lot of athletes are like that when they get stuck at events and they always complain about, you know, there are no options because in the, the goodie bag there's some horrendous protein bar or a Gatorade. Sorry, I shouldn't probably say brands, but um, you know what I mean in terms of there being no options. So it is really practical to have that in the immediate post-training window before you can get to real food. It's so funny what you said about Meb. He was, uh, we were in town for the uh, New York City Marathon a, a few weeks ago and, and saw him and he was joking that after the marathon is when the real marathon starts for him with all the appearances <laughs> and obligations. But, you know, that may be the case for somebody like him, but then you look at kind of your everyday athlete and it's, it's the same deal, right? They might get done with a workout and have to take the kids to school or, or you know, prepare dinner for the family or whatever commitments people have, go to work. So it's kind of like, giving you that buffer uh, before you can get that next meal. It's, it's really valuable um, as a tool in that way to control your blood sugar as well. Yeah, it's awesome. That's so funny for him. I mean, he does a two-hour marathon and that's easy. And it, <laughs> the media engagements are the real marathon. I love that. Exactly, exactly. Very cool. So I know um, you mentioned the research was pre- and post-training on the cyclists. So let's chat more about um, during training and racing. Absolutely. So, uh, so you know, you're you're exactly right in saying that. Uh, really, our our significant study looked at the pre and post workout period. So, you know, a lot of uh, the during training aspect of UCAN uh, is very much anecdotal, but also I'm sure Bob's uh, has shared some you know interesting data where he does metabolic testing and and has seen. Um, certain things with UCAN, but you know what we found uh, in terms of utilizing UCAN during training. Th- there's a couple things. So one of the things that I didn't even uh, touch on in terms of the structure of superstarch is that it's an extremely large molecule uh, and it has a very low osmolality. So so really larger molecules are going to pass through the stomach rapidly and and they're not going to cause uh, you know that same GI distress that you're going to get for your simple sugars that sit in the stomach. So one of the big, big things that endurance athletes really find that works well about UCAN when taken during, when super starch, uh, when taken during exercise is that it really doesn't sit heavy in their stomach and there's no uh, amount of fluid that you need to mix a a serving in with in order to aid digestion. So, you know, you can get uh, 80 to 100 calories of UCAN just mixed in two to three ounces of water and and, and I always uh, tell people, you know, treat super starch like 
your fuel, even though it's a drink, it's not your hydration, you know? So if you separate the fuel from the hydration and treat it like a food, you can really, uh, you know, on the bike for a triathlon, get two or three servings mixed up thick into your bike bottle. Uh, and, and really the idea with the, with the, you can take an during exercise is that it is going to prevent the need to fuel as frequently. So when, when people are, are out there on the bike or, or even for marathons that we generally find that they're taking a serving of super starch, which is roughly a hundred calories about every 90 minutes, 75 to 90 minutes is what we see. Um, so, you know, in the, in the endurance world, um, where people are coming from 200, 300, 400 calories per hour, I mean, we really don't see people taking in much more than, uh, you know, 40 to 150 calories of super starch on the high end per hour. And, and there's truly some remarkable, um, you know, athlete stories. There's a, a woman, uh, an athlete we work with Darby Roberts, uh, just finished fourth at Ironman Arizona in the uh, in the U.S. this week and uh, this past weekend, uh, 906 iron on um, uh, about 800 total calories of UCAN uh, over that nine-hour period. You know, and, and certainly she trained her way, uh, her, trained her body in a way to be a very good fat burner following that metabolic efficiency training. But and and so UCAN, like I've heard some athletes say, metabolic efficiency training on its own works great. You can on its own will work very, very well, but the two together um, is really mind blowing. There, there was another um, athlete, Matt Bach, who won Ironman Maryland uh, here last year. Um, he did, uh, I believe his time was 8.51 uh, and change, eight hours, 51 minutes and change in total, uh, did it on about 900 total calories of you can. So we're seeing more and more of these these athletes able to, to really uh, maintain that great pace and intensity. Uh, and consume less calories using UCAN uh, as their during exercise fuel source. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I think, and, and Bob and I touched on this as well about the the decreased need for dosages um, and how life changing that is for so many athletes. I mean, we've all seen those bikes in um, T one with you know ten gels taped to the top tube and you know, basically a whole picnic on board. And, you know, I always say to my athletes, like, you're not out there to eat, you're out there to race, right? So if you're not having to worry about your, your nutrition um, as frequently, and certainly if you're only needing to have like a small concentrated serve every 90 minutes, that changes the entire experience of the day. And in particular, that that gastric upset that many people get well into an Ironman when they just can't tolerate um, what they think they need anymore. Without question. And, you know, I think one point that, that I do want to add, which, um, which sometimes people will, will ask us, um, this comes up, is that, you know, I, we definitely do understand that uh, during exercise, both that spike in glucose uh, and that spike in insulin are, um, you know, somewhat suppressed, uh, depending on the individual. But one of the, the key differences with UCAN is it's not just that super starch doesn't spike you, you know, there, there's a lot of low glycemic carbohydrates that don't spike you. But the difference with super starch is that it maintains you for a long period of time. So I tell people to think of it, it's almost as if you were attached to a glucose drip where you're just getting, you know, drip, drip, drip a little bits over time at a very consistent rate over a long period of time. You know, so even though taking in, uh, you know, simple sugar or maltodextrin during exercise may not result in as significant of a spike as it would if you ingested it, you know, pre-exercise when you were at rest, the reality is it's still not going to sustain your blood sugar. You know, you're still going to fall 
below baseline. So you're going to need to take it back in again to raise you back up. With superstarch, you're just not falling below baseline uh, nearly as quickly. Yeah, and I love that drip feed approach because we all know the digestive requirements and certainly the amount of energy and, and blood and oxygen that requires. So while we're trying to get you know the heart and lung and muscles to use that that oxygen and that um, blood, we certainly don't want to be relying on a large digestive requirement. So the drip feed is fantastic because it just means you're getting that energy, but you're not putting that extra stress on the gastrointestinal system. I think, yeah, I think Bob talks about that so much. I'm sure you guys uh, chatted about that as well, but mm. that that's every time I talk to Bob, he emphasizes to me how significant um, avoiding those GI issues are, you know, with every athlete he works with across the board, like to him, that's been such uh, an eye opener and a game changer for him. And it's, it's, you know, it's really cool to hear that from somebody like him who's working with really, you know, all ages and all different uh, levels of athletes. Yeah, absolutely. So you've spoken about um, a couple of athletes and the amount of calories that they've needed in an Ironman. Um, You know, I think certainly when an athlete is quite fat adapted, you need that one so every 90 minutes. But what have you seen from a dosage or experience with someone that's perhaps moving straight across from a conventional model and might be quite the sugar burner? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a fantastic question because it's, um, you know, it, you can, it's not magic. So like I, I'll, I'll stress that uh, from the start. So, you know, if you're somebody that's going um, from, you know, 300 calories of simple sugars an hour, and then you're, you're going to try, you can, and you listen to this podcast and you say, okay, I'm going to go for the 50 or 60 uh, hour in approach. It's, it's just simply, you're not going to have good results, you know? So I think there is a, like, I don't even want to so much call it an adaptation. It's just a figuring out um, process, you know, and just the biggest challenge uh, with UCAN is just like any product, putting it to the test and figuring out how much you need to ingest at once and how frequently you want to dose. So somebody that's a really high sugar burner, just as an example, you know, they might initially start and say, I'm going to take in one single serve packet of UCAN, which is about 110 to 120 calories. Um, I'm going to start by taking that every hour and then you use it for, you know, two or three workouts and get used to it. And then suddenly you're able to prolong that 120 calorie serving every 90 minutes. So th- that's kind of how I re- recommend playing around with it. You know, if you're used to taking in 300, 350 calories an hour, you know, start with a packet an hour and, uh, and kind of go from there. But I think one of the big things to, to realize is that in terms of an adaptation, I mean, you can, is really, it's in powdered form and I know we don't think of it as a food in the same way that a sweet potato is a food, but it really is just a slower burning carbohydrate in powdered form. So, you know, nobody would ever say I have to adapt to eating a sweet potato, right? It's so, so from that standpoint, it's like, it's, it's working the same way. You know, it's just a, it's a food that's going to keep your blood sugar steady. And, um, certainly there's an adaptation if, uh, you know, depending on how drastically you're trying to lower your calories, but this is not something that's like, you know, stimulating fat burning enzymes or some type of a supplement or stimulant that's doing different things to your body. No, it's just, it's just giving you glucose at a very slow and steady rate, just like any, um, you know, low glycemic carbohydrate food would do. Yeah. But I also think that there's huge benefits there as well as it, 
because not a lot of people want to actually eat food and obviously oh yeah there no is a, question yeah if there's a higher intensity involved it's almost impossible not to choke and so you don't get that bolus effect of real food when you're taking gels and simple sugars so you can is the best of both worlds it's obviously really easy to consume but that drip feed that slow response is what we want to maintain our energy and obviously de- decrease dosage no question. I'm glad you, uh, and I'm glad you added that to clarify that because that's, that's absolutely right. You know, and, and that's where it totally differs for something like a, from something like a sweet potato or, you know, a bowl of oatmeal. You wouldn't have a bowl of oatmeal 15 or 20 minutes before you go out the door for a hard workout. That would, that would end, end in disaster. But you know, that's exactly what people are doing with you can because of how uh, easily the carbohydrate digests. So you're, you're uh, right on with that. Yeah. And I actually love thinking about that. Um, I actually love the pre-training or pre-race benefits as well. Like we we do a lot of fasted training and we certainly emphasize that for racing, but it doesn't work for everyone. And certainly when someone first starts, they're not necessarily comfortable starting an Ironman on just a fat black or a coffee. So I do love that this application can fit in there. They might take that service super starch um, before an Ironman and it would get rid of any ghost hunger and certainly give them that confidence um, pre-race without it having to be that conventional advice of having a gel, which would totally spike your blood sugar and set you up to need, you know, hundreds of calories an hour and, and GI distress by seven hours in. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's so fascinating to me about the gel thing, right? It's like, like you said, you're setting yourself up where if you take a gel 10 or 15 minutes prior to going out there and training, like, like is recommended, I mean, your blood sugar is already dropping, you know, 10 to 15 minutes into your workout. So you're setting yourself up to just keep needing to do it over and over and over again. So the, I, I, I always say, you know, the best time to utilize you can is as your pre-workout pre-training snack. Like if you were going to use it at one time, I would say that's when to use it. Cause that's where you're really, really going to get the benefit of that that steadiness uh, over the first, you know, 90 minute uh, duration or so of, of your workout. And then, and then at that point, you know, we leave it up to people to, to decide. So kind of the two approaches we've seen is, um, you know, sometimes people will start with you can and then um, use it for a set period of time every 90 minutes, but then say they get, they're doing a triathlon and they get to the run at that point, they might say like, Hey, you know, right now it's not convenient for me to carry it in a flask or, or, you know, after six, seven, eight hours, your you, your body might to crave might start to crave variety. So it's okay to use you can and not make it your only thing that you're using. The only thing that we advise is don't mix you can and sugary stuff together. You know, don't don't take you can before and then take a gel every twenty or thirty minutes. You're negating the purpose of taking you can. So you kind of let you can run its course and then you switch over to something more fast acting if that's uh, what you want to do. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great point. So. What what would that look like? You mean completely separate them in terms of different hours within the training and racing, or and then what would exactly. you include with super starch? Cool. So so I think that's um, two. Let let me answer this in two different ways. Yeah. So the first way I'm going to uh, start with is what would I include with super starch that that works well in combination with it? So mm. uh, in, in that instance, you know, we're really talking about things that don't spike your blood sugar. So. Superstarch is your carbohydrate fuel source. Um, so things that people have mixed with it, like during long events to curb hunger, for example, is you know nut butters. Uh, those work well. Uh, people have um, you know if you can tolerate it, just even snacking on 
um, some nuts while you're on the bike or, or even for ultra runners. Um, we've had people, uh, if they find a low sugar uh, bar with some protein and fat, um, they'll utilize that in combination with, with Superstar. So we're really, you know, looking for sources of protein and fat primarily to, to help control hunger during some of those longer events. But, but you know, also uh, being conscious that it has to be something that your gut can tolerate and digest. Now, if we're talking about other carbohydrates, um, you know, other fuel sources, how would you advise mixing that with super starch? I, I would advise that, you know, exactly what you said, which is just separating them. So, you know, a sample is say for, uh, you know, uh, uh, 70.3 half Ironman athlete who might be out there for five or six hours, they would take super starch prior to the, uh, to the swim. And then they would have, you know, if they're on the bike for uh, say, three hours, they might have between two and three servings of super starch on the bike. They would time their last serving of super starch so that they take it as close to the time of getting off the bike as possible. That way it's going to help carry them through, you know, the first hour to hour and a half of the run. And then at that point, towards the end of the run, they would switch over to something, uh, you know, more traditional, whatever's on the course, or, or if they had a gel in their pocket, if, if we're talking about a marathon, you know, kind of the same deal. If you're looking at your three and a half to five hour marathoner, you might do one super starch at the start that might carry you through to the first 90 minutes to two hours. And then you can start taking in, you know, your gel type products every 30 or, or 40 minutes, you know, whatever, whatever you feel you need to do. And then, and then the other uh, option is to actually load up on more super starch pre-workout. So some folks will take, you know, two packets of super starch prior to a bike or prior to a run and find that that two packets at once gives them, you know, an extra buffer close to, uh, it, we don't know exactly if it doubles the time, but anecdotally, you know, plenty of people have told us that, you know, they take one, it'll, it'll last them about 90 minutes. They take two before it'll get them to about that two and a half to three hour point. Um, so that again is attractive for a lot of folks. Cause you know, just the idea of loading up before you train with something that doesn't sit heavy in your stomach and then just being able to go out there and train, uh, and not really think about fueling. Yeah. It's very, uh, very attractive. Yeah, that would be awesome for an Olympic distance athlete that might feel like they need a little bit of fuel but um, doesn't want to b- bother with it on the bike or certainly exactly. they're doing like a 10K and really trying to sprint home. And No question. I think that's, uh, you know, Olympic distance athlete or even people that are running that marathon in kind of that three-hour range. I know a lot of them just love it because they'll mm. take the, the two packets of superstars and then they're just really worrying about, you know, drinking water on the course. Yeah, that's another great application. They're not having to worry about fuel belts or aid stations very much at all. Exactly, exactly. Really, and that's that's the idea in a nutshell. And you know, and I think we're we're talking a lot about uh, endurance exercise, certainly, which um, you know I know is uh, a big focus for a lot of people. But but even you know, in that day to day training, going to uh, the gym for an hour, an hour and a half uh, after work, you know, just being able to get something in you that's going to allow you after a long day of work to have that steady blood sugar throughout your workout. I mean, it's really powerful uh, in that situation as well. You know, so a lot of people are using it um, just as that fuel for daily workouts instead of having a banana or, you know, or or, uh, some type of energy bar with uh, 20, 25 grams of sugar. Um, Mm. Thinking of the super starches that way for that daily training, it's also a a great uh, application for it. Yeah, and certainly being only 100 calories, it's nothing significant for someone that's perhaps, you know, not quite an endurance athlete. Um, 
that's something I really love about you, Ken, and, and the advice that you see, like, you know, certainly on the website and in the research, it's all about less is more, which is actually quite unusual for a sports nutrition company, which is usually recommending, <laughs> you know, three serves an hour or, or, you know, the 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So I just love that it's all about that metabolic approach first and foremost, and then a supplemental product rather than the other way around. I always half jokingly say this uh, to Bob when we're when we're talking about you can and metabolic efficiency, but it, it's like you know the more effective you get at utilizing both together, the less you can you're going to need to use and buy. So maybe it's not a great business model, but then again, if uh, hey, if everybody's uh, if everybody's using it and burning more fat and, and minimizing the blood sugar spikes, you know, I think I think we all win at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's excellent. <laughs> you put yourself out of business with all the advice that you're giving, though. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So have you got any more athlete stories that you wanted to share? Definitely. So, you know, I think um, Meb's story uh, is really, you know, pretty unbelievable. I, I mean, we... I remember in 2009, um, you know, Meb's nutritionist uh, at that time, a woman by the name of uh, Dr. Krista Austin, she had uh, introduced the product to Meb uh, because he was getting, you know, at that time he was 35. As he was getting older, he was struggling with the GI issues from mid-run fueling. So he really uh, liked the idea of something that he could take in prior to uh, a workout that would just maintain his energy for a couple hours. So it, that was really cool, you know, to see the fact that Meb kind of put a leap of faith in, uh, in UCAM before we had a name or a product uh, or a brand or anything like that. And it, he's just been able to achieve a remarkable level of consistency. He's 40 years old now and uh, pushing for his uh, fourth Olympic team. So I think one of the interesting aspects, you know, that we've kind of been able to tell the story through MEP, but that we see from so many, uh, you know, age group and, and older athletes is that that glucose tolerance with age uh, really decreases, right? Yeah. A lot of people become much more sensitive to the insulin spikes and the blood sugar spikes. And we've just had so many heartwarming um, testimonials. You know, I come, uh, it's funny, I, I make this joke, but I come from the uh, news business, TV news, before I was started uh, working for UCAN uh, five uh, years ago. And I remember in TV news, the only type of emails we would get were uh, nasty emails when we messed up uh, somebody's name or, you know, messed up, uh, messed up mm. something uh, on the newscast. And then I started working for UCAN and we're getting all these like unbelievable heartwarming, heartwarming stories and emails from these, these athletes who are using the product. I was like, wow, I didn't know there was an, uh, an industry where that actually happens. So, um, <laughs> but, but no, you know, I think that that's one of the kind of the big things that we see, um, is for a lot of older athletes really feeling like, um, utilizing superstar just helped give them some of that vitality and, and that life back when they try to do these these endurance events. Um, in terms of other, um, you know, big name athletes, I'd say what's interesting to us is that um, we have um, 330 pound American football defensive linemen utilizing one packet of super starch and not needing to take in other calories, uh, you know, for a two and a half uh, hour, three hour game. And then we have, you know, 120 pound female marathoners kind of experiencing it in the same way. So it's so it's so interesting to see that it doesn't necessarily um you know isn't necessarily determined by your body weight or by your size. Uh, it's it's really kind of that power of steady blood sugar is so applicable um across the board. And then that's that's uh you know really fascinating to us. Actually uh you know one athlete uh Australian athlete uh, Benita Willis who uh 
Uh, you might uh, be familiar with that name, uh, several-time uh, Olympian in the marathon for Australia. Um, you know, Benita, uh, again, same, same thing as Meb, as she was um, uh, getting a little bit older, finding that she was more sensitive to the glucose spikes, uh, really also had great success uh, in her training, uh, you know, a few years ago when she was still really pushing for the Olympics, uh, had great, great success uh, utilizing UCAN in the same manner as Meb. Yeah, for sure. People in Australia might know her as um, Benita Johnson as well. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. Queensland girl. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> really, really cool person. I had a had the pleasure of spending some time with her a few years ago, and uh, yeah, really, really nice person. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I think you make some good points there. Certainly with aging athletes and glucose tolerance, um, and I can imagine that um, there's a big market for diabetic athletes as well. Absolutely. So, what's you know one of the interesting things we've always. Um, you know, been very careful uh, to make uh, any diabetic claims uh, wow. until we have clinical research to, sure. to back it up. But we recently um, partnered here in the U.S. with a medical foods company called Metagenics, and they used our super starch carbohydrate in a, in a meal replacement product for diabetics called Ultra Glucose Control. So it's um, it's about 19 grams of our super starch, some pea protein, some fiber, and fat, and they actually did a clinical trial at one of the uh, top diabetes uh, research centers here, uh, the Jocelyn Diabetes Center in Boston. Um, and they did a, a trial comparing the glucose response to their product with super starch in it against glycerna, uh, which I, I don't know if they have it in Australia, but glycerna here in the U.S. is a very popular uh, uh, meal replacement shake sold at grocery stores, uh, you know, towards uh, diabetic or pre-diabetic individuals. Uh, and then they also compared it against oatmeal. And their, their test case, uh, their, their pool was 24 uh, pre-diabetic individuals between the age of 50 and 55. And they found that the, the product, their ultra-glucose product with super starch in it, uh, showed a significantly better glucose response uh, when compared to both glycerna uh, and oatmeal. So, uh, you know, they are uh, now here in the U.S. marketing that product with our carbohydrate in it two physicians and uh, it's in two uh, diabetic individuals. And it's, it's really um, kind of where we see uh, probably the most impactful future of, of superstarch being, I mean, again, the anecdotal feedback we've gotten from diabetic athletes has just been amazing. You know, have folks uh, saying that when they've used superstarch, they haven't had to take, uh, take an insulin, you know, that they, they test their blood sugars and, and several hours later, it's still, uh, you know, really, really steady. It, actually, if you Google, uh, the blog A Sweet Life, um, and then just Google A Sweet Life and you can. There's actually a uh, review uh, for a couple of years ago from a type 1 diabetic cyclist who actually uh, tested his blood sugars. Um, so in, in saying all this, you know, I'd say that the future uh, for diabetes is very, very promising. What we always just advise people right now is if you're diabetic and you want to give you can a, a try, you know, just um, just be careful and monitor your blood sugar levels. You know, you want to you know how it's going to impact you. Um, the potential is very promising because again, it's designed to keep your blood sugar stable and prevent those glucose spikes, which is what, you know, you're trying to do, uh, as, as someone with, who's diabetic. But I will say that, uh, because it's slow releasing and not fast acting, it's not something that if you had a hypoglycemic episode, that's going to spike you out back up right away, which is why, you know, you, you just want to be careful to, monitor your glucose levels and kind of figure out for yourself whether or not you need to continue to take an insulin, if you need to adjust the amount of insulin you're taking. You know, I just want to be uh, sensitive to all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's excellent advice. Um, certainly can't wait to see some more clinical trials. So do you have some in the pipeline? 
lot of lot of different things we're uh, we're looking at. I'd say several of these will be in the pipeline over the next uh, you know couple of years. So I think um, one of the big things we're we're really fascinated fascinated about is the uh, impact of super starch uh, when it comes to fat metabolism for high intensity training. Yeah. You know, I think uh, a lot of people um, kind of the traditional notion of exercise physiology is that. Um, you know, when, when you raise the intensity, then your body's going to pull more from carbohydrate. But, uh, you know, kind of gotten some really interesting uh, data from, from different ple- people um, showing really, really uh, good fat burning at high intensities with UCAN, both uh, compared to working out fast or similar fat burning to when working out fasted and also uh, significantly better than when using a maltodextrin product. So, so that's something that we definitely like to test in a clinical setting, um, definitely we, we've, we've looked at um, doing cognitive studies. You know, there's, there's, we've gotten a lot of interesting feedback from uh, uh, sport dietitians in the military about, um, about cognition and, you know, um, different uh, soldiers saying that they just feel better focus and uh, mental clarity when using UCAN. Again, that's not something by any means we make, make uh, any claims about, but, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, studies tying that steadiness in blood sugar um, to better focus in cognition. So I think a cognitive study is something, um, really that we're fascinated in, um, you know, doing some more research on, um, the impact of UCAN on blood sugar and insulin compared to more fast acting carbohydrates during exercise. You know, we've done the pre and the post part. Um, and then really also, um, looking at the application for UCAN for weight loss, uh, there's a, a large um, a gym chain here in the U.S. that um, that you know carries and does very well with UCAN, and they have a lot of their clients utilizing UCAN, um, you know, as a midday snack to prevent um, the sugar cravings or carbohydrate cravings that come from low blood sugar, and and also uh, have them using it, uh, you know, instead of fast acting carbohydrates either in that pre or post workout period to better burn fat. So. I threw a lot of things at you. I think the the, <laughs> the reality of it is that they're there's so many potential applications that we see for superstars that it's kind of just, uh, you know, right now we're, we're in this endurance, uh, endurance world because, you know, that's where the first athletes started using it. And that's kind of what our initial research pointed towards. But I think, um, uh, I think a lot of that other research that we just uh, talked about is, um, is certainly on the way. I, I guess I'd be curious uh, from you, Steph, is there anything in particular that you would be interested in, uh, in seeing when it comes to, uh, to superstars in terms of actual, uh, clinical research and data behind it. Yeah, I think the high intensity is going to be a good one. Like obviously we've seen Volex Faster study be published um, this month and we certainly now um, have a good start in the research as to the potential of fat adaptation and high intensity um, training. I think certainly the integration of Superstarch into a, a, a study like that would be really interesting to have a look at that impact on high intensity and certainly um, – I think also comparing athletes that are quite um, significantly fat adapted like the subjects in FASTA and also perhaps those that are uh, moving from a conventional model and, and therefore, you know, set up in that sugar burning mentality. That's, that's a good point. It would be interesting to, to be able to, um, you know, give some type of quantitative uh, sort of recommendation. Like, you know, if uh, I, I guess, you know, if you're within a certain fat burning threshold, uh, this is roughly how many calories of superstarch we recommend per hour. Where if you're, you know, more in more of a carbohydrate burning uh, percentage, then you should take an X. Um, yeah, I, I think both those things. And you know, the high intensity one is probably one of the most uh, frequent questions I get. You know, especially from uh, people 
uh, racing the shorter course, you know, if sprint triathletes or, or, you know, people doing the, uh, the shorter distance sprint cycling, um, you know, wondering like, is this going to give me what I need to, to put it into high gear, um, at the end. But, you know, to, to that effect, you know, I think Bob probably talked about this a lot. What I'd say, um, in terms of the high intensity question that we get a lot is that with super starch, if you're utilizing more fat and preserving, uh, better preserving your carbohydrate stores, your glycogen stores, then, you know, it stands to reason that towards the end of exercise, uh, if you're not depleting your glycogen throughout exercise as much, you're going to have those carbohydrate stores to utilize, you know, when you need to do that sprint or need to do that climb, uh, toward the end of exercise. But, uh, but yeah, you know, to be able to say that and then be able to say, this is the data behind it, that, that would be, uh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, we'll get Jeff Pollack back in the lab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we need. You know, we've got a lot of smart people that are uh, fascinated by this. So I think uh, that's what's exciting. You know, there's a lot of interest uh, and, and a lot of uh, kind of people um, that have expressed interest in, in helping us with some of these studies. So I think, um, I think the potential for more research in the upcoming years is, uh, is very, very high. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure Tim Noakes will be interested with his um, diabetic research and the Noakes Foundation. So, yeah, lots of exciting things coming in the, in the, in the um, recent years. You know, I think it's exciting to see the kind of people in endurance um, perhaps uh, waking up, not, not specifically to super starch, but just to this idea of, uh, you know, do we really need to be so carb dependent and, and sugar and carb dominant? You know, the, the fact that, that people are, are talking about this and exploring, uh, you know, different alternatives, uh, I think is really promising for super starch. Whereas, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, if we had uh, come out with this, um, perhaps there wouldn't be as much uh, open, much open mindedness. Oh, absolutely. There's been a huge shift in the last, I'd say, four years. And Bob and I were chatting about this as well on his episode because he's been doing it for 13 or 14 years and he would have been, or he he was, up with so much backlash and, you know, strange looks and criticism for so many years, like almost a decade. And now the conversation's really happening, which is absolutely fantastic to see and it's only going to get better in years to come. Yeah, I mean, I remember even Jeff Volley telling us when he, you know, was involved with the first Atkins book back in the mid '90s. Some of the hate mail he would get, you know, mm. so it's uh, it's clearly, uh, uh, I mean, still probably not mainstream, but uh, I guess perhaps much more mainstream than it was uh, five years ago. Oh, absolutely, and you know, I said this to um, to Bob, I think as well. Like even what I see with our consultation uh, business is that we now get athletes approaching us who are already. Um, experimenting with LCHF or metabolic efficiency and they've certainly already gone into a real food lifestyle and they just want some support with fine-tuning and perhaps, you know, specific recommendations for um, training and racing. And it's so amazing to have that experience from our end rather than it being like starting from scratch and breaking down the myths of the last five decades. So there's been an absolutely huge shift even at, at ground zero. Uh, I, I, that's that's really cool. I mean, you're you're so closely uh, you know I- involved in that world. So the fact that you have clients uh, you know expressing that sentiment to you and, and already kind of uh, investigating that, um, I guess that that makes your uh, your job easier in terms of expl- <laughs> explaining the theory behind it. Right? You've crossed that bridge already. Yeah, it's very easy. <laughs> but <laughs> cool. still, I really love the personalization of it because we know that nutrition is one of the most personalized things there could be. So the fact that athletes are wanting that extra support is absolutely fantastic. 
And, and that's, you know, to, to that point with, with nutrition being personal, that's what I always tell folks to is like, so I, I, you know, I think super starch is a great kind of, um, first approach for people in endurance, you know, if it's, so maybe if, if it's not for everybody, that's, that's completely fine. But it's, you know, if you can avoid the sugar spikes and consuming all the sugar, uh, and this is something that's worth giving a try as your starting approach. And then if it doesn't work for you, or if it only works up to a certain point, then certainly you find a, a way to, to mix in some other stuff in a, in a sensible manner. But, but really, um, you know, treating the blood sugar stabilization and, and better fat burning as your first line approach. I hope more and more athletes start to kind of say, let me try that first, you know, instead of saying, let me make the sugars a foundation of my training first. That's because just most people are in this sport, you know, for, for health, you know, there's, there's a small percentage that are competitive and getting a paycheck from it, but most people are here to get fit and be healthy. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, ultimately what we're trying to promote as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think certainly athletes that are coming into, you know, I guess their careers now, they're in a really fantastic position. They're not going to have to work backwards from 90 grams of carbs an hour or a strong sugar dependency. So with the education that we've got available um, via the nutrition world and the exercise physiology world and certainly through products like Generation Can, these athletes can start with that metabolic efficiency and avoid the the sugar burning metabolism and certainly the longer term complications of that. No question. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, if you boil it down to its fundamental level, you can as a tool to control blood sugar, you know, and, and we should all be trying to control our blood sugar as, as often as we can. And I, I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. I know Bob, Bob I and mean, you probably talked about that at length, but uh, mm. that's how I really view superstars, you know, and you can, it's a, it's a tool to control blood sugar and as many tools as you have, to control blood sugar, you know, you'll just have, uh, you, you'll feel better energy. You'll, you, it'll be easier to get fit. Uh, you'll be able to train better. Um, so, you know, this is just uh, another tool in your tool belt. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So, I think that's about um, a wrap for us today, though. Thanks so much for your time. I just wanted you to direct our listeners to um, website and social media if they're listening virtually and perhaps. Um, they want to head there straight away. They'll all be in the show notes, but just for our listeners who are um, listening to the podcast on on the go. Absolutely. So our, our main website is generationucan.com. Uh, UCAN is U-C-A-N. Uh, from there, you can click through um, to our uh, international um, page, and uh, I believe in Australia. Well, Steph, I think you have a better idea of the best way for um, them to get a hold of the product in sure. Australia, but but in terms of our social media, um, we can uh, we are Gen Ucan, so it's G E N U C A N. You can find us by that handle on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, you know we are uh, try to, to be pretty active on social media in terms of putting tips and uh, different suggestions on using the product and different uh, stories and ideas from you know some of the uh, experts and athletes that we're affiliated with. So uh, for anybody that's trying to you know, really dive into this more and, and, you know, has bought into what we're talking about and wants to train with you can, I think, uh, finding us on social media is going to be your best bet to keep up with, uh, current tips and recommendations and, and really, uh, understand how to train with it. Amazing. So as I said, I'll put the links in the show notes and for our Australian listeners, they can contact us at the natural nutritionist because we are now an Australian distributor. Um, so if you're looking to grab some, you can certainly reach out to us. Uh, it's hello at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au and head to the show notes for all of those links. 
it's been amazing to chat with you and thanks again for your time and for sharing the story of Generation Nucan and, and certainly the science behind Super Starch. Steph, thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. I really had fun. I can't believe uh, uh, an hour has passed so quickly. I could uh, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour, but it was really fun and uh, and yeah, just appreciate uh, everything you're doing to uh, to help uh, endurance athletes figure out some uh, different things as well. Thanks so much. It's awesome to collaborate, and I'm sure we'll be in touch again soon. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.